Hello everyone and welcome to series two of the Disclosure Podcast. It's so good to be back. I'm really, really excited for everything I've got lined up for series two. I've got some really interesting conversations with a variety of different guests and I can't wait to upload those. I think you guys will really enjoy them. So yeah, it's so good to be back and I hope you had a wonderful new year. Happy 2020 or welcome to 2020 and happy new year. I hope you had a, a good time celebrating if you enjoy celebrating and I hope you had a wonderful holiday and festive period if, if you celebrate the holiday and festive period. Um, it's been a while since I, I, I finished series one and it's, it's just uh, been really, really busy since then actually and there's lots for us to talk about today. I kind of want to focus a lot on what 2020 has been like so far and maybe go through some of the big things that have happened so far because of course there's been plenty hasn't there already even though we're only so many in you know, such a short space of time into the year there's already so much to talk about as there always is so I thought we'd maybe we start series two with with kind of a recap of, of how 2020 is going so far um, and then of course as the series progresses there'll be a variety of episodes talking about a variety of different subjects as well so yeah I mean it, it's it, it's definitely been an interesting period so far hasn't it and we'll probably try and fit as well I'll try and fit as much as I can in, in this space of time that we have for the podcast but before we get into that just just want to do a little kind of like introduction thing really which is is to kind of go through just very briefly 2019 last year which was um, a, a really busy year for me um, and I, I kind of just actually a few days ago tallied up all the talks that I'd done throughout 2019 um, and I put them kind of into like a little spreadsheet thing and by the end of the year so throughout the whole year I did a total of 107 talks um, and I also I, I'd asked organizers to kind of give me a list of how many tickets had been distributed because sometimes what we, what happens for events is we have like event brights so organizers will, will kind of give out free tickets to get an establish an idea of how many numbers you know of people are going to be there and make sure that you know there's not more people than can fit into certain venue sizes so we kind of kind of gauged how many people people I, I was rea- reaching uh, in each talk and so 107 talks throughout the year and around 27,600 people um, reached for just through those talks which I, I, I kind of was a little bit taken aback I don't think I realized it was going to be that many when I did the Europe tour at the end of last year so November and December it was a total of 67 talks so I was doing two three even on some days four and five talks in a day um, and so it was really full on but for 107 in the year and then 27,600 people um, yeah I thought that was pretty cool I was quite happy with that so I thought I'd share that at the beginning um, just to let you know kind of where I was at in terms of my public speaking and, and kind of what that was looking like. So yeah. And so just before we get into the first episode and, and discuss the, the content that we're going to talk about, if you have kind of wanted more podcasts, because I know I finished series one a little while ago and there's obviously been a break between series one and, and, and this one series two. So if you want more regular episodes of the Disclosure Podcast, then you can do so by signing up to my Patreon because every month on my Patreon, I release a patron only podcast. Um, and so it's kind of a little bit more informal maybe and what I do is I, I really just respond to questions from my patrons so I kind of put a little shout out saying hey you know what kind of questions have you got this month and I go through as many as I can and, and try to talk about a range of different issues so for example in in the last podcast so that for the month of uh, January we talked about kind of pet ownership and the morality of, of cats and, and how we feed pets but we also in the past have talked about kind of like deep philosophical issues like more abstract ethical concepts and we've also talked about kind of environmental implications so, so really it's kind of a broad range of different issues we talk about from from kind of practical everyday things about oh, what do I do with with kind of um, let's say leather products that I owned and I've gone vegan and you know, what what's the moral thing to do there to kind of more abstract philosophical concepts of, of morality and the subjectivity and objectivity and and the different philosophical um, you know ideas behind our moral code and then of course uh, just environmental stuff as well so if you've wanted more episodes and you've kind of wanted to you know maybe you've have questions that you'd like to hear me respond to with the podcast because also with with the patreon podcast it's a longer format so we do kind of get these questions and then we delve a little bit further into them and often i go on tangents i mean if you listen to to series one you'll probably be familiar with my tangents but i often go into these tangents where we end up at points that maybe abstract the question itself but uh, but hopefully are interesting in terms of the, the content so if you'd like maybe just a format where I'm talking about different issues a little bit more in detail a little bit more in depth then you can get that by signing up to my patron and also through signing up to my patron you support the activism that I do as well so yeah let's get into it let's start off episode one and, and delve into these issues and kind of say well 2020 then 
what's been going on, what's kind of been happening, how's Veganuary been looking. What what's kind of been quite rewarding, I think, this year is uh, the expansion of Veganuary, not just in terms of numbers. I think they're up to around four hundred thousand uh, participants now, but actually just the kind of the global um, chitter chatter, if you like, just the conversation around it has been really kind of incredible to see this year, and and definitely feels like a a big step up from last year. I've seen news reports from America talking about Veganuary, same in Australia. Um, and I noticed like the countries participating in Veganuary have, have significantly increased as, as well. Um, and so that's kind of been really rewarding in a sense of, I think that shows the scale of what's happening now. Um, I think, I mean, maybe this is naive of me, but it felt that maybe previous years it had been quite UK specific or UK based. And, and even though there was a lot of conversation, maybe it wasn't like kind of a, a national thing, like maybe nationwide, there was lots of people who didn't know what veganery was, but it's really become this huge phenomena, you know, where people know exactly what it is, know exactly what it's about. And it, uh, London's a little bit of a bubble, I get it, but even wandering through London just to see absolutely everywhere has got a veganuary menus, veganuary options, like everywhere you look, it's unbelievable from like these kind of like smaller kind of like pub places to kind of like big kind of high class bars and restaurants, like everywhere is offering vegan food now. Um, and that's incredible to see. Um, and, I, and to see that conversation happening globally as well as has been quite wonderful there was there was a figure wasn't there? and i and i say wasn't there because i i talked about it in the video i released um a few weeks ago at the beginning of veganuary um which was kind of a wonderful thing and so I, i've got this headline here so it i'll just read it out kind of verbatim almost and then we can discuss kind of what that means but it says that veganuary saved 3.6 million animals in 2019 according um to some new data um which is kind of astonishing when you think about it now I, I always say and i said this in the video it's good to just kind of be a little bit more i don't know what the word would be have a little bit more of a kind of a, a perspective on what that means it doesn't mean those animals were necessarily saved because they were still bred and they were still have been killed as a consequence of being bred but it shows that actually the amount of meat that was being bought or at least animal products that were being bought in the supermarket shelves has reduced and so whether or not that's created a tangible link yet to animals not being killed or you know not being bred into production is probably a little bit more abstract and maybe isn't quite you know obvious or, or clear or even you know real but what it does show is that there's been a decline in the amount of people buying these products in the supermarkets which is that first step to altering the supply and demand which ultimately stops animals from being bred into production so that that's kind of um something I, I found quite interesting to see because often with veganuary it's kind of like okay yeah, it's wonderful people sign up they do it but is there a tangible kind of like statistical um or evidentiary like what's the word i'm looking for like a stat is, is there something that proves that it has a positive effect is what i'm trying to say and i think that this this piece of research that was calculating that figure based on volume so it's kind of like how much volume of animal products has not been bought because of veganuary and then using the, the volume which is about four and a half million kilograms which is a substantial amount isn't it translating to what does that look like in terms of numbers of animals so four and a half million kilograms of, of animal products not bought because of veganuary in 2019 and then the consequence of that meaning about 3.6 million animals that weren't bought you know, at this stage most likely were killed but were not bought and so that's, that's kind of i think that shows there's a positive thing happening here and if, if you couple that with the fact that veganuary does bring in doesn't it, a huge amount of, of, of options uh, abundance of different types of food and, and availability of vegan food and it makes it easier to see how that progress can happen because you get twofold veganery you have companies and businesses producing vegan food to cater for the vegan demand and then you have people buying that food because it's now available it's 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 that simple kind of you know when people have it in front of them they'll buy it but if it's not there then they don't have that choice to and so veganery puts options in front of people as a consequence people buy those options they don't buy the the, the animal based options and then the tangible effect of that is volumes there's a huge volume reduction in terms of the amount of animal products being bought which in the long run will translate to a, a disruption of that supply and demand chain and in doing so a disruption of the supply and demand chain will mean a reduction in the number of animals being bred and it'll also mean a fundamentally a changing in how the resources and the economy 
you know perpetuates these industries because as that supply and demand changes what we'll then see is is, is more of an encouragement for subsidies to be changed for the economic um, systems to be reevaluated to understand whether or not the you know the funneling money into a, into an, an industry or a system that has been you know made redundant by the consumer and then that tangible change really starts to take effect and so small steps it's kind of if you take enough of them eventually you turn around and you've made a, a long way haven't you you've walked a big distance and so we're taking all these these kind of very small steps but actually what we're starting to see now is that the when we look over our shoulder we're walking quite far and all these small steps over this long period of time which have felt often quite inconsequential maybe inadequate quite frustrating have actually shown that we are making a little bit of distance now. And and here's an example of, of kind of like a small step that I think is something that we we should celebrate. Um, plant-based burgers outsell meat burgers at Leon. Now, for those of you who don't know, Leon is kind of a, a fast, casual um, food establishment. It's kind of supposed to be like healthy, fast food, if you like. I wouldn't necessarily classify it as you know, being wholly healthy, but it's kind of like a healthier fast food. And so a lot of grab-and-go stuff. So they do burgers, they do like kind of rice dishes, like um, stews, kind of all that different um, kind of food. But anyway, they're plant-based burgers outselling their meat burgers. And with more than half of the sales now in vegan um, and also vegetarian dishes, but the burgers, um, both of them are vegan burgers. Um, they're called the Love Burger, and they've got this, this other one now. Um, and, and they're good burgers as well. And so that's an example, I think, of a small step, which we may think, oh, okay, what does that mean? But actually, it means quite a lot because this, this says about 57% of the vegan or the burger sales are vegan. And I think that's that's impressive. Like, I really do because I, I've been in there a lot and, and I hear a lot of people ordering the vegan food but it's not a vegan place and there's nothing about it that would necessarily encourage vegans to go there more than the non-vegans i think it's just genuinely the the vegan you know availability of options there they've got a good menu and the menu's good and i think because it's a really good menu and the food's tasty it encourages people to buy it and so it's great i think that's a really positive thing and again it's showing small steps making a big distance in the long run and and if we really want to kind of emphasize emphasize the power of veganuary there's no there's no better way of doing that than to look at what the opposition thinks of veganuary you know it's all well and good as kind of like being oh veganuary is great but if if say the the meat dairy and egg bosses the the industry that we're up against if they're not expressing worries or fear then maybe it's a little bit of a you know a self-congratulatory feeling without much of an impact but actually that that's not the case at all meat meat bosses vow to reclaim January amid massive veganuary success. Um, it's it, That's kind of a wonderful thing to read, isn't it? I think that that's what we want to see. Maybe these meat bosses, when they use words like reclaim, maybe they think that that's going to make us feel a little bit worried, but that's the kind of word we, we want. When, when, when they use words like reclaim, well, it means they've lost, doesn't it? Because you can't reclaim something unless you've lost it. And so I think that there's an acknowledgement in these words that the industry have used, reclaim, that signifies that they recognize that they have lost something huge. And it's not that you can lose the month of January, but something has happened which has ultimately created a very negative dynamic for them. And so they need to kind of reclaim a neutral dynamic. Because of course, you know, it would be conventionally neutral but it's become wholly negative towards towards the meat dairy and egg industries and so for them to use words like reclaim is i think very positive and shows actually the power of veganery transcends just the oh great now i can get this delicious vegan burger in leon you know it's not like that it's it's actually having a tangible effect that is resulting in meat bosses having to use words like reclaim vowing to reclaim which is to me that that that's a wonderful piece of news to see so that their plan is to to release a massive campaign turbocharging the the promotion of red meat, which it it's a very difficult sell for them, isn't it? To to promote well to turbocharge the promotion of red meat, it's a very 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 difficult sell for them to make. The the reason that they're focusing on red meat is because a, another wonderful piece of news. Last year, um, the sales of pork and beef, so so red meat sales in the UK, plunged by one hundred and eighty five million pounds that's a substantial amount i was reading somewhere else that i think that i you have to definitely double check this but from what i was reading that means that it's the category the food category that had the biggest decline in 2019 so out of all the different food categories and the food um what would the word be labels the odd labels for different you know subsections of food 
this, the decline in red meat sales was the biggest decline out of any category. And to counter that, the sales of meat alternatives, meat-free alternatives, rose by 18%. So while you have this massive deduction in the amount of red meat being sold, what you also have is a substantial increase in the amount of meat-free alternatives being sold. And so there's a direct correlation happening here, which is... Um, fantastic to fantastic to read there's something else in, in news in in the netherlands i think it was um a reduction of of nine percent in red meat sales since 2017 so what we're we talking two years two three years ten uh, percent that's a huge amount isn't it i mean if, if you if you translate that so say every two and a half years a two percent you know ten percent sorry reduction well th- then you can see quite quickly that in our lifetimes by that by that rate of fall you would see an end to that industry. Um, and it, you would imagine as well that the, the rate of decrease will somewhat become slightly, well, it'll, it'll increase when it's, it's, it's probably exponential in decline. So it will constantly, the, the rate of decline will constantly grow because it's that snowball effect. And it, it takes a time to build up to something that seems significant. But when you do, the significance grows larger and larger and larger. And so it, it's, this, it's very, very plausible to, to maybe think that actually the rate of decline will increase now because more options, more information, more education, more uh, imperative, more consensus around why these things are important, thus creating more of um, a desire for people to do it. And the more desire through these different factors, the more likelihood of people doing it and sticking at it. And that's exactly what we're seeing, I think. And so it is exciting. And I, I do want to pinch myself a little bit, not get too ahead and say, interestingly, well, not interestingly, of course, I think predictably, uh, I use that word predictably somewhat with an element of frustration, predictably, the the sales of chickens, um, chicken flesh, um, the body parts of chickens and of of fish did increase as well. But the increase doesn't necessarily, the the increase firstly doesn't negate the the positives of the decrease in red meat. Uh, And also the increase wasn't in proportion to signify that people were swapping from one to the other and, and, and there was no real tangible positive benefit from the decrease that, that that's not what's been shown although that there is an increase that increase obviously being that, that people think um white meat or, you know poultry is healthier more sustainable and also of course fish being you know the the perception that eating fish flesh is healthier and more sustainable as well and so the, the, there are those misconce- misconceptions which have led to an increase in, in those industries while simultaneously a decrease in, in in the red meat ones obviously from an environmental and health perspective red meat is is the one that's bashed the most um and from an ethical perspective um i think well it's kind of obvious isn't it from a, from an ethical perspective people empathize with pigs and cows and even sheep more than they do with fish and, and even chickens and so you can see why that's happening and, it, and it's undeniably very frustrating that it's happening but if we want to take a positive from that i think the positive is that people are listening and people are questioning and people are concerned and it's just that they've not been i guess they've been fed this idea that red meat's the the problem in all these different categories and so being vegans neat and all but it's not a necessity because by switching to something else like fish or chicken you're negating the, the worst aspects of that and so people are listening which is positive it's just they're not getting the right information all the time and so what they're changing to is more of a a compromise but that compromise isn't a good compromise actually that compromise results in more animals being killed because of course the rates of of chicken deaths and fish deaths is substantially higher and and more of these animals are killed to produce the same quantity of product right so actually it's the compromise is is worse in terms of animal life you know the suffering of animals and and the lives being taken Um, and, and environmentally there's there's you know huge problems across all these industries the problems are somewhat unique to each specific one and the problems of chicken farming are different the problems of fish farming which is different the problems of beef farming but the problems across all these different systems of farming are horrific um, which is why as we know and as the science keeps telling us for sustainability veganism is the only way and as we obviously already know for morality veganism is the only way and as we have been told continuously and been shown for a health perspective, veganism is the only way as well. And as that information becomes more prevalent, hopefully we'll see some sort of plateau on the rise of, say, white meat and, and fish, and then that decline will happen as a result of the plateau and then and then coming down. So that's what I think. But to go back to that, 
reclaiming January. I, I do think that's, that's, that's wonderful. Here's, here's um, a quote from, from someone called Will Jackson, who was the strategy director at AHDB, which is a, a big farming organization, um, animal farming organization in the UK. And he said, in the livestock sector, in- increasingly we approach January with a sense of trepidation. Why, he said, there is a belief that the month is now owned by those who follow alternative lifestyle choices and set out to convert others while spreading misinformation and mischief around livestock farming. Uh, I think there's an interesting choice of words. It it always makes me chuckle. I've read that a few times and um, I find it quite bewildering. Uh, I mean, again, there's an acknowledgement, isn't there? A sense of trepidation going into January, a fear, a worry because of the power of veganuary and the power that that it holds in in influencing society and culture. It's a cultural thing now, which is uh, kind of wonderful. It's it's, it's, it's a pop cultural thing, which is brilliant. But this is is the thing that that I really like. set out to convert others while spreading misinformation and mischief. I like mischief. I, I think the, the use of the word mischief is quite funny. It kind of, uh, I don't know, it just seems quite farcical, doesn't it? All these vegans up to no good spreading mischief. Like, well, I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to think of an example of what being mischievous would be, but it doesn't seem particularly, um, it doesn't seem like a great word to describe what he's trying to describe. The mischievous vegans are out there spreading mis- misinformation. But it's interesting, the misinformation thing, isn't it? Because I always... I always wonder, I, I always wonder, and I, I'm actually not sure on this one. I'd be interested to know what you guys think about this. When when people like Will Jackson from the Beef and, and Lamb or the AHDB, when he says that vegans are spreading misinformation, does he actually believe that? Because uh, what I mean by that is, is these, these organizations undeniably have a huge vested interest. Huge vested interest. Um, and so you, you would feel that the prerogative lay more on them to spread information that is biased um, and ultimately misleading, because the benefit of doing that to them is well, it, it's 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 a vested interest financially, isn't it? it, it beyond financially, it, it, this ego involved, this tradition, this heritage, there's this community, um, there's fear. You know, there's, there's all of these factors in explaining why they would spread misinformation. You know, you know, there's so many reasons why they wouldn't. And, and, and I, and I, when I think about vegans, I, I, I struggle to think of, of what the imperative would be for us to spread misinformation. Like we don't need to lie about what's happening. We don't have those 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 kind of culturally, um, or those traditions, that heritage, that community, those vested interests. We don't have those things. The reason that we've gone vegan is because of what we have found through objectivity, you know, the objectiveness of the information we've come across because of the footage that we've seen, because of the science that's been shown. That's the reason we've changed because of information. But the reason why they're in these industries and why they do what they do isn't because of something of information. It's because they've been raised into that, because their families did it, the people in their communities did it because of lack of of aspiration, or not lack of aspiration, but lack of opportunity. And so when you think about the concept of spreading misinformation, it never quite seems, it never seems how explainable how they could say that. And so I guess this is more of a rhetorical question because I'm not entirely sure, but I always think, do they believe that or do they know? Do they know, well, okay, all this science has come out and yes, it's true. And maybe vegans have a point that all these things are bad and, but let's not own up to that because we have all this these baggage or do they actually think that we're spreading misinformation do they think that when we say look here's this this university of oxford study it's the most comprehensive analysis of uh, uh, you know of, of farming ever conducted Forty thousand farms in 119 countries it's, it's literally defined by the scientific community as the most comprehensive analysis ever conducted exploring farming in the environment and then we present that and say look the conclusion to this study the most comprehensive ever conducted is that veganism is the best thing for the environment and they turn around and say that's misinformation and, and you kind of stand there don't you scratch your head and you say but this is the most comprehensive analysis that's ever been conducted that there's no other piece of research that even comes close in terms of the scale and in terms of the the intellectual and scientific input and, and, and the consequence output of this research and, and you call it misinformation because why well the only reason you can do that is because it contradicts 
all these this baggage that you have this this fear of change this fear of the unknown this this trepidation as as, as the word that they used so always misinformation like we know we do this dismantle dairy campaign we release footage from dairy farms uh, and the footage is showing a, a pattern of violence both legal and illegal just 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 putting a camera up this this it couldn't be any any more objective a camera goes up the people working there do not know the cameras there and so they're acting completely like they would on any other day and they're seen doing these things beating violence separations forced impregnations abuse how can that be spreading misinformation to to pop a camera up to objectively film what these people do when they just are about their day-to-day lives and then to release it and then people see that and they think that's terrible because of course it is and then they realize that what they're doing is they're perpetuating in pain for a system that is cruel and violent and horrible and then these farmers go well that's misinformation but it couldn't be further from from misinformation because it's merely documenting what people within the industry are doing when they think nobody's watching them. How, how could it be more objective than that? What, what is spreading misinformation is when you go on farmers' Twitters and then they upload these, the, the, these little films, don't they? You know, they love doing just a farmer in his field and he's with his cows and he's like, look at all these cows. Oh, aren't they, they, they're having such a great time. Oh, yeah, vegans should come and, and check out a real farm. Which, that, that's misleading because it doesn't show the actual story. Another thing that, that is misleading is these kind of like open farm Sundays they do. Well, where you can go and visit the farm and they'll take you and show you that, oh, here's, here's a calf. And here you can feed the lambs during lambing season. But that's that's that that's a little bit misleading, isn't it? Because what you're doing there is you're taking advantage of people's like of animals. The fact that people like animals, like spending time with them, think they're cute. It's a fun day out. It's a family. You're taking advantage of that to portray how you look after these animals as being righteous and just and ethical. But actually, that's because you don't actually talk about what's happening. You're not honest. You don't show the moment where you take the babies away. You don't. You don't show these families the trucks where the the cows are loaded into, or you don't take them to the the slaughterhouse you have open farmed sundays but you don't have open slaughterhouse sundays and so and so picking and choosing selectively displaying aspects of what you do to portray something that it isn't that's misinforming people that that's that's what's what's misinforming people and actually here's an interesting thing that's been happening in the EU, in Brussels, they've been debating recently, well, I, I think the debates are soon to start, a piece of legislation has been tabled about whether or not you can label plant-based meats as being meats. I'm sure you've probably all heard about this. Can you call oat milk milk? Can you call it a vegan sausage sausage? It's been, it's been around for a couple of years, this conversation. But it could well come to be that it's made illegal in the EU, so in the European Union member states, to label vegan products as being milk or meat, or cheese, or sausage, or steak, or, or whatever label that we use. And the reason they say that is because that they think they are misinforming the public. They say, oh, well, we have to look after the consumer because the consumer's been misinformed because when they see oat milk, they buy it and they think, well, it must be milk, cow's milk, because it has the word milk, you know, wrote on the label. And then they get home and they pour this brand Oatly oat milk into their cereal and they eat it and they realize that it's not cow's milk. Because these consumers are so silly, aren't they, that they see the word milk and presume that milk can only be from a cow, even though the word oats there. Isn't that kind of very insidious, isn't it? This idea that these farmers, these industries want to protect the consumer from misinformation. And yet when you go into a supermarket and you see labels like happy cows produce happy milk or free range eggs or humane high welfare meat. And you go talk to the butchers in, in Morrison's and you ask them how the animals are killed. And they say, oh, the animals were killed very humanely. Or you say, oh, well, how were they raised in the farms? You say, well, they were raised with love and care and the farmers treated them as if they were their own children. And yet we say you can't call oat milk milk because that's misinforming, but you can be sold a lie and be said that an animal is killed compassionately or benevolently as the knife is pulled across their throat or as they're loaded into a gas chamber and then we're told, oh, no, no, don't worry, don't worry. It's all very kind. It's all very humane. It's all very loving nothing to worry about yes the pigs are screaming don't 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 just ignore that just don't think about that yes yes of course they're thrashing on but don't worry it's it's humane 
And so you can go into a supermarket and be bombarded with propaganda. There's a, a brand of eggs in the UK called Happy Eggs. How insidious is that? Happy Eggs. And that's completely fine. That doesn't break any trading standards, any kind of consumer rights, or that doesn't mislead people. Even, of course, those happy eggs have come from hens who were incarcerated in barns, you know, labeled as free range, but never given access to the outside because of the intense confinement of the barns they're in. And ultimately, they're killed anyway. And they've come from hatcheries where the males were macerated or gassed. But then you go into a supermarket and you see a box that says happy eggs. And the most primitive and obvious form of marketing works because you see it and you feel reassured. Happy free range eggs. And that's not misleading at all. And so again, let's take it back. This notion of misinformation is it's so absurd, isn't it? Misinformation that the industry say that we're spreading misinformation because we hold up a scientific study, the most comprehensive ever conducted, or we show objectively what's happening in these farms when the farmers do not know they're being filmed and they're just acting like they do every day. We show that and we spread it around and that's spreading misinformation. But labeling products deceitfully to make a consumer buy something that we don't know the truth about that's fine. It's interesting, isn't it? It's almost like, well, what's that expression? The pot calling the kettle black. I don't know if that's the correct expression, but the idea of just hypocritical, isn't it? You're accusing someone else of what it is that you do, but this is a classic tactic, a classic tactic. Accuse someone else of what you are guilty of doing, and it takes the focus off you, and you place the focus on them, but actually it's you doing this thing. And so I guess, I'm not sure, are they consciously aware of the paradox of saying that? Or are they so ingrained and conditioned and absorbed within what they do and the industry they live in that they don't actually think that they're spreading misinformation? And they do think that vegans are the ones lying. I don't know, I, I actually do think it is the latter. I have a feeling that they actually are so ingrained that they don't think they're saying something absurd. But I don't know, maybe not all of them, maybe some of them. Maybe the ones at the top who are a little bit more clued in, a bit more informed. Maybe they're a little bit more aware. But the day-to-day farmer who lives and his life is farming and always has been, maybe the fear, the worry, the trepidation stops them from thinking rationally. And so as a defense, their mind fools them into believing this lie, I suppose. Interesting, isn't it? Anyway, just moving on quickly. We are looking at this in the wrong way. January should be seen as a huge opportunity to set the record straight. It's interesting, isn't it? Set the record straight. Uh, the use of that word is, uh, that phrase, set the record. Again, it's all about this idea of spreading misinformation because this is interesting, isn't it? I think what that shows is that the industries can't dispute the information, right? It's it's it's, it's almost an admittance of, of the problems. They can't dispute the information So instead of disputing it, you just call it a lie because you can't argue against it because the information is so damning and it's so overwhelmingly negative to what you represent that you can't defend against it. You can't go, yes, okay, fair enough, this is true, but here's the counter argument. You know, here's why that's not relevant. Instead, you just have to say it's a lie because to admit that it's true would be to admit that you can't argue against it because once you admit that being vegan is the best thing for the environment, well, you can't argue against that. You can't say, yes, veganism is the best thing for the environment, but if you care about the environment, you should still eat meat because that's obviously absurd. You can't say, um, yes, we do do these things to animals and yes, the slaughter isn't humane and yes, they do suffer and yes, they do die in pain, but don't worry, it's all okay because that's a paradox and that's absurd as well. And so you can't accept or you can't admit to these things being true. So all you can do is call them a lie. It's misinformation because to accept it as being true would, would be, well, it would be a fail. You, you, would, you would have inadvertently created the most damning indictment of what you do. So that's interesting, isn't it? A little bit of a, a kind of, I suppose, I don't know what the word would be. Um, it's not, I don't want to use, it's not like, I don't want to say that poetic justice, but it is it is reassuring to know that the the what's happening right now is having um kind of an effect and an effect that isn't just yeah it's an effect of like these people are aware that it's happening and it is of concern in fact there was a kind of moving on there, there was another report it wasn't a report it was more of a, a piece of feature that was released in the financial times 
And it was saying that UK animal farmers are worried as veganism grows. Um, the quote says, there is a feeling among British livestock farmers that their way of life and businesses are being challenged as veganism wins um, or it continues to win. That's interesting, isn't it? I think I, I, it, it does create something potentially troubling. UK animal farmers worried as veganism goes. I, I don't, I, I, what I think is interesting there is there doesn't need to be a sense of worry. I, I get it. Like, you know, it's change. It's, it's, it's a big, it's a big thing for them. I get that. But there's no need to feel worried. Like change can be positive. Even if change is scary, it can be positive. I mean, there's this thing, isn't there? Status quo bias, you know, like the equilibrium or status quo bias is, is, is kind of its name. It's, it's the idea that we like to keep the status quo, even if that status quo is wholly detrimental and damaging to us you know we often continue doing things that are not productive or good for us because doing it it, it reassures us because it's 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 normal right it's 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 not an upheaval it's just as everything has always been and we find reassurance in everything being as it is and as it has been status quo bias so i think farmers obviously live in, with this status quo bias and maybe even though some of them recognize that it, that bias is wholly detrimental there's still a fear about change um the article claims that farmers are obsessing over veganism often citing their financial struggles as, as a major factor there is a feeling among british livestock farmers that their way of life and businesses have been challenged um they account for only one percent of the british population i know that's that's about vegans actually but i thought that was about animal farmers which is interesting because here's another interesting thing is that actually i think the number of people who are actively engaged in animal farming is only about one and a half maybe to two percent of the population of the uk the actual workforce the agricultural workforce is low it's it's, it's small and so i guess there probably is a feeling of, of being outnumbered because you know realistically speaking there's more vegans than there are animal farmers right and so there is a shifting in dynamic and it's creating a sense of worry but it doesn't need to you know that there is options and possibilities for change here and so i'm hoping that this worry does in turn convince farmers to make changes to, to even advocate for changes to actually side with what it is that's happening to recognize and self-reflect and then as a consequence of that you know we can kind of progress and um and move on if you like and and, and seek better ways of, of, of living and, and, and kind of more productive ways of of utilizing resources of of utilizing our environment and of, of kind of treating each other with respect you know animals with respect um and so but it must be it must be a bizarre thing for for farmers who've been raised in these scenarios and especially the older ones probably you know like the the grandparents on the farms who may be in their 70s there must be it must be very unusual for them to have seen so much in their life and for now in, in, in what is really kind of a relatively short space of time in terms of the rapidness of the growth to see something that is really starting to destabilize that social norm that cultural norm that that that, that just kind of status quo so to speak and i think one thing that's cited in the article is that the flexitarian you know and the, the people buying meat products um who sorry who are buying less meat products and how that has an impact on farms as well and so th that's another interesting thing isn't it is we advocate veganism we and we always should advocate for veganism but the flexitarians are causing problems for farmers as well because you know even if you're eating vegan three times a week which morally environmentally and stuff just it, it's illogical of course and we should we should advocate for that but there is still benefits in that in the sense of of, of the change of, of that supply and demand and actually the knock-on effect that has and so for farmers really animal farmers it's not like farmers versus vegans in their eyes or at least it shouldn't be because actually what it is is it's farmers and people reducing and changing their eating habits and, and of that what we have here is another statistic that, that says uh, according to a poll 23 percent of brits are planning to go meat free by the end of 2020 i mean that that's an astonishing number isn't it 23 percent and nearly a quarter um that's a huge figure again meat free so we're talking you know vegetarian you know it's not a direct thing to veganism which is frustrating but the knock-on effect of that is still quite powerful isn't it you know we're talking what is that 20 i guess we're talking 15 million britons or something like that's a that's a huge number of people um 
and like you know i was vegetarian before going vegan so i kind of hope that that would be the logical extension for these people if this poll turns out to be um, real turns out to actually be what happens by the end of of this year so it's no wonder there's a worry there's no wonder there's a fear in veganery or it's obviously a turbulent time and um it must be it must be worried but i think what's important is that there are opportunities for change here changing of subsidies here's something interesting that happened um in the uk during veganuary obviously the uk will be leaving the eu um it's going to happen now and so one of the big things of leaving the eu is would be how subsidies are distributed the eu provided three billion euros and it still does for now provides three billion euros a year to um, british animal farmers which is a huge amount of money of course and so leaving the eu means that that would stop and so the uk government have had to have devised um, a way of of still continuing to subsidize these industries obviously those subsidies were going to be given to farmers just now it comes from the uk taxpayer but what's interesting actually is 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 the way the subsidies will be distributed i've talked about it a lot i mean uh, maybe on the podcast last year i can't remember but um in in a few different formats um and and if you if you came to any of the talks i did um throughout the europe time particularly you'll have heard me talk about this the idea of reallocating subsidies in, in in a more um environmental way and that's what interesting this new agricultural bill has done that not in the way that we'd want it to of course you know they're talking about incentivizing farmers to have things like wildflower meadows or or shrubberies around the perimeters of their farm you know widening perimeters and creating nesting areas for for native birds and of course you know trying to increase biodiversity through those means the problem is those means are, are such small steps it's that kind of like turning off the tap as you clean your teeth it's just this real very slow kind of like yeah that's great and all but it's just not dealing with the root of the problem is it but at the same time i try and be positive and so the positive from that is that the conversation is evolving a little bit and in effect our government is starting to say that actually environmental measures should be incentivized so land ownership should be incentivized through environmental measures rather than just the the actual ownership of the land which is how the european subsidy is distributed subsidies given to farmers or landowners just for the ownership of having land in agricultural condition but now we're talking about allocating subsidies for for environmental measures nowhere near what we want but a little foot in the right direction because what we ideally want is exactly that but taken to its most logical and scientific extent and that would be farmers not even farmers landowners are subsidized for the most environmental things they can do for their farmers so that would be veganic farming so that's organic production of plants but using vegan fertilizers green manure nitrogen dense plants of course um, and also rewilding big conversations now about rewilding um, and to use that word reclaiming reclaiming farmlands and rewilding those landscapes reforesting um trophically rewilding introducing natural animals back into these landscapes and that would be a great way of 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 diminishing worry for these farmers saying look things are changing yes of course that is going to be worrying maybe troublesome a little bit scary but at the same time there's a benefit from this which is we can work together to actually implement tangible benefits for our environment and for the animals and indeed for you as well and this is how we do that not tiptoeing around the problem saying hey plant a wildflower meadow on the perimeter of your farm and we'll give you a bit more subsidy we say actually take the sheep off that farm take the 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 grazing cattle off that farm and in it in, in their place rewild that landscapes and we will subsidize your land management to try and encourage that to happen or we say to the chicken farmers we say take the chickens stop breeding them into production stop bringing them and intensively raising them in these in these big indoor farming units and turn that farm into a mushroom farm turn that farm into a plant-based farm and here's a subsidy to allow you to do that and not only that but we're going to subsidize you for using veganic fertilizers and, and what we can do there is, is, is create huge change but at, at little extra expense because we're already subsidizing and paying these industries and we can do that so the point i'm saying is you can our farmers are worried this is what this report is saying and i understand why they're worried but they have a reason to be worried but they their only reason to be worried is if they stamp their feet in the ground and try and fight back by saying that we're lying 
the the logical thing to do would be to accept the information accept that it's objective stop trying to play it kind of like this this is kind of very childish game of saying oh no they're lying it's like it's like this petty game isn't it of like two siblings in front of their parents saying he did this no he did this it's like look at the objectivity of it and let's act accordingly because we're talking about the future of trillions of animals lives their suffering and of the planet itself so we can't play these tit for tat games of he said she said like they have to at some point accept the information and so there is a worry and maybe that worry is because there's becoming less of a chance to keep saying misinformation or crying misinformation which is interesting isn't it um january big conversations about australia as well let's make it a little bit more international perhaps there's two big international things that have happened related to um animals i think you know a little bit well tangibly absolutely more abstract in australia of course bushfires wildfires the worst well the worst that happened in this so early in the season with record-breaking heats and people dying billions of animals dying just huge destruction of of, of a, such a, a biodiversity of such a, a vast range of biodiversity um i don't know if you guys saw um produced a video a couple of weeks ago talking about this and then talking about the link to veganism what's been very frustrating i suppose is like how how much terrible how many terrible things need to happen before we go oh yeah okay all right this is this is getting a little bit terrible and another thing of course is this corona virus right this virus that's sweeping around right now has killed people again originated from a meat market right it's just so many terrible things happening because of what we do to animals you know we call it karma whatever you want to call it like these things are happening because of what we're doing to animals non-human animals and if we stop doing these things to non-human animals we could drastically reduce the severity of things like this i mean when we talk about like disease and health epidemics like animals and what we do to animals this is what's going to happen as a consequence of these uh, of what we do to animals it's going to come back and get us antibiotic resistance right the, the the biggest example of that predicted within the next few decades to be as terrible as cancer in terms of the number of human lives that it takes every single year i mean it's just people are like oh they're worried about this virus right and oh we're talking about should we make it is it going to be a pandemic should it be a, an international emergency what 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 should we be doing should we be closing borders? Should we be stopping flights? Should we be stopping this? Should we be stopping that? Well, realistically, what we should be stopping is is the problem of what caused the virus. And if the virus has been traced back to a meat market, then potentially the solution to maybe helping stop these things happening in the future is cut out the thing that started the problem, which is a meat market. And obviously with the globalization of the world, you have a meat market in China, someone gets ill there, and all of a sudden you have this global problem. And, and and how long or at what point does that become a problem that is something that is well species threatening i mean I, I don't think you know this coronavirus is is scary um and it's obviously been horrific with what it's done to so many people so far you know i, I but i don't think this is going to be the one but antibiotic resistance well how how do we stop that how like it, unless we take radical action now that in the future we're not going to be able to live in the way that we do now we can we, we live quite arbitrarily when it comes to health because we have such an abundance of medications that we can fall back on antibiotics being like the the pinnacle of that you know of, of medical achievement of of kind of like improving human mortality rates you know it's it, it, incredible and now we're regressing back to a state where people won't be able to have basic operations where a basic operation will become life-threatening where dental surgery might become life all of these absolutely absurd things could happen in the future like we're living so far in the past because of what we've done to animals so far and then we look at climate change we look at what's happened in australia scientists everyone says look this is this has been made worse the problem has been exasperated because of climate change and then we look at the data that says that actually the biggest thing that we can do to alleviate our individual impact on the planet is to go vegan, then there's a very tangible link between us not being vegan and these problems persisting, right? Um, at what point does that breaking point happen? You know, at what point is that realization where we go, oh boy, right? Antibiotic resistance, coronavirus, 
okay what the, what's the what's happening now oh, it's to do with how what we do with animals okay well maybe that should be something we address oh climate change causing these problems wiping out billions of animals and here's another here's another thing isn't it which is people are mourning the death of the deaths of these animals people mourning the deaths of koalas and kangaroos and all the different types of wildlife in australia and then every single day billions of animals have been killed for the food that we consume and killing those animals for the food that we consume in turn causes climate change to become worse which in turn causes these wildfires and these bushfires to continue which in turn causes these animals to die who we then mourn over like how it's it's quite it's quite insane, isn't it, when we, when we put it into perspective like that. We mourn over these animals, and the reason that these fires have been so bad is because of this problem, and one of the biggest reasons why this problem is happening is because we use animals. And so, logically, you think, well, hang on, if we stop using animals at the first point, then we could reduce our impact on the thing that causes these climate change problems, and in doing that, we could reduce the impact on these animals who we mourn over. All right, it just it seems so logical, doesn't it? And as because it is, unfortunately, as a species, we often don't live as logically as we should. But it has to happen at some point, doesn't it? Surely. But then the problem is, you have these industries saying, "Ah, it's misinformation." Here's another thing that's interesting about misinformation: the UK National Farmers Union says that the UK animal agriculture industry is only um, responsible for ten percent of UK emissions. You know, you think, "Oh, that's not that much, is it?" I think, you know, it, depending on what part of the UK, it varies, but the, the average would say be 10%. You go, okay, doesn't sound like too much. But then what, what the National Farmers Union isn't doing is it isn't taking into account the emissions that they're responsible for causing in other countries, such as the deforestation that happens in the Amazon to produce soy to feed the animals in this country. About a million hectares of land deforested in the Amazon to produce soybean for animals in this country. That 10% figure doesn't calculate that, and they know that. that that's deliberate. That is deliberate. They know that. Of course they know that. What also that figure doesn't involve is is what we call kind of like the potential. So it's not just about the emissions caused by animals, but it's about the potential of what we could do to help our environment if we took out the animals. And so if you take out the animals and rewild the landscapes, create carbon sinks where carbon can be sequestered through the biodiversity of, of vegetation and, of course, the animals playing a part in that, the, the trophically rewilded animals then the, it's not just about there being 10% of emissions, it's about the, the, the elimination of the potential benefit of reclaiming that land. And that's not taken into account either. We talk about misinformation, it's just staggering. That is a conscious choice for them to not display that because it is so damning. That is interesting. That is, that is the epitome of misinformation. But we look what's happening in Australia, what's happening right now. At some point, there has to be that breaking point, doesn't there? There has to be something that gives where we say, okay, maybe it's time. 2020 seems like a good time, doesn't it? Seen something, I was reading an article in The Guardian not so long ago. It was talking about uh, one of the uh, the journalists from The Guardian was in uh, California and they were trying the just chicken nugget and so this chicken nugget was lab grown cell cultured chicken nugget i think the, the way they'd created it was about it was about 70 percent cell cultured um and then they used uh like uh mung bean protein because i know just uses that so they, then you use some plant derived products in there as, as well so the, but that's what a cell cultured that was their cell cultured chicken chicken nugget they were saying in this article that that, that chicken nugget would be available in high-end restaurants within a couple of years it's kind of interesting because I've been saying this a lot, which is, oh, we don't know when, you know, cell-cultured meat's going to happen. We don't know when these things are going to be commercially viable. And, of course, commercially viable is very different to being available in high-end restaurants. But the scaling up of this process is happening maybe quicker than we realize. And if we're talking 2020 now, and let's say that the first cell-cultured products are, are being sold you know, commercially 2022, 2023, then we're talking 2030, then this could be something that's very much commercially viable. And it makes you think, well, maybe that point is happening quicker. I, I, I constantly to and fro. Is it going to be in, uh, in my lifetime? Is it not? What's going to, what, you know, is it possible? Isn't it possible? Can we achieve this? Can we not? Achieve, like, what's, what is going to happen? And I don't know, I feel maybe that the negatives of these things that happen they do push people to think a little bit differently, don't they? 
you know sometimes you need something terrible to happen to go oh boy yeah okay maybe 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 uh something does need to give here you know and i think it's hard to try and see positives from things like the bushfires in australia or the wildfires in the amazon or indeed this virus and i don't think there's, there's really any positives from the virus i don't think many people are going to go vegan because because it originated in the meat market i think i don't think that's going to happen i think realistically people will say oh well you know that's because of the sanitation in china and the way you know um the way their system's set up you know and it's not regulate all these things and you know that's what people say and there is an element of truth to that but let's not forget that in the uk we had mad cow disease bse and also foot and mouth disease so we're not it's not exactly that you can that you can isolate you know these these problems as being just in kind of these unregulated um, meat market areas although of course that does increase the likelihood of these problems but i don't know if that has too much of a positive change i i think that's just kind of more scary than anything if you try and find something positive from the bushfires, it would be that there is a tangible link between lifestyles, climate change, and then the impacts of climate change. And I think a lot of people will have reconsidered their lifestyle choices because of that. Um, so I guess trying to look for positives in that sense. Um, but it is it is one of those things where it feels wrong to do so. But if there's positives to take from it, and we always should, is that people sometimes need terrible things to happen to push themselves in the right direction i like veganery because it feels wholly positive doesn't it so you know this guy did an article i think what's interesting about it is, is it was saying that these things could be commercially viable in the future that's a positive thing a couple of things have been interesting in terms of like a fight back if you like a lot of things about almond milk isn't there it's, it, it, it's such a bizarre one. I, I, it kind of confuses me greatly that this is like the best thing the, the two things that i, I keep seeing and again um you know i like the guardian they publish a lot of good stuff but boy you know some of the, some of the stuff that comes out in there is, is frustrating the thing the other day talking about oh the problem with veganuary i thought oh right what's this it, it, you kind of know what it is before it, before you click on it the problem with veganuary is that oh a lot of these vegan options are processed options and um have high salt content and and things like that and you go yeah that's true but how does that change anything you know and uh, the almond milk one is is um fascinating fascinating again it's, it's, it's this classic case of accusing your competitor of doing what it is that you do and and, and that is the dairy industry goes oh almonds oh you don't want to drink almond milk because it takes a lot of water to produce almonds and you go hang on a minute but how much water does it take to produce cow's milk substantially more a thousand gallons of water to produce one liter of cow's milk or one gallon of cow's milk I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I agree. Almond milk's not the most sustainable plant-based milk. In fact, it's probably the one that we shouldn't be drinking. I'm, I'm happy to, to, to say, oh, like, buy oat milk over almond milk. But if, if we're trying to use an argument that we shouldn't go vegan because almond milk's bad for the environment, isn't that just, isn't that just preposterous? Doesn't that just show the, the, the weakness of the argument against us, you know, veganism, if the best thing you can say is, well, you know, almond milks use a lot of water. And also bees are exploited to produce almonds in California, so we should continue eating steak and drinking cow's milk. Like, there's there's no logical conclusion to that, but that seems to be that the biggest fight back I've seen during veganery. There's not really been that much that these industries can say. A lot of talk, isn't there? We're gonna promote red meat again. Well, okay, go for it. Do you think people are gonna go, oh, Oh, okay. Well, you know, well, the AHDB have said that eating red meat's great because you know it's got protein. Now, about I better ignore all the science then, and, and like it's it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I think maybe they know that reclaim. And if but it has been interesting to read that and a lot of this thing. Of, oh, well, you know, this this ingredient and you know vegan products aren't these are heavily processed. Some of these vegan these vegan things you're finding. It's like I'm not being funny, but if you go into Greg's. And you're going to buy the vegan steak bacon Greg's. It's kind of a bit. It's a bit silly to say, well, that vegan steak bake, you know, that's not very healthy. It's like I don't think anyone really goes into Greg's going, oh, hey, let let me find this healthy, nutritious lunch option. That's not the point of why people go into Greg's. It's affordable, cheap food, isn't it? It's tasty, as well. And so it it's always it just strikes me strange. Like you're going to go and say, oh, that that burger patty. It's got some salt in it. And it's like, and the alternative to that is also got salt in it as well as cholesterol and trans fat. And of course, it's a dead animal who's been, so you know, has tortured and, and mutilated and exploited and died in fear and pain. Oh, okay, well, maybe the, the slightly high salt, salt content in that burger isn't too bad after all. 
You know, it's just interesting to, to see that that is kind of like the angle that's been taken. And I think that that, that will happen with cell-based meat as well. It's kind of like, well, you know, that's, that's processed, you know. Do you know what isn't processed? Selectively bred, artificially inseminated you know, um, animals who are raised in, in confinement, who are fed GM foods and who are then killed in slaughterhouses, butchered, processed. That, that oh, okay, don't worry about that, 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 don't worry about that processing. But have you heard that, that, um, Almond milk is, uses a lot of water, you know. It's at some point you just think, well, maybe maybe everything is going to be okay. And then you think, ah, I don't know. Anyway, welcome to my head. As you can tell, it's a place of, of many, um, <laughs> many thoughts that all lead to the same conclusion, which is who knows. But I think the purpose of this podcast was just to say lots of great conversation taking place, as always. And Veganu has been very interesting this year different i think to to previous years and in a sense i think more positive uh, more global more participation of course more interaction and i just think now it's become part of popular culture it's a pop cultural statement now it's part of you know conversation it's part of mainstream tv it's part of well everywhere isn't it and everywhere you look there's something about it well at least here i know it's not the same world of you guys live but I'm sure even where many of you live, it's propped up or popped up and maybe there's some veganery menus and, you know, in some place where, you know, there wasn't before. And to think, uh, th- this is a nice way of maybe rounding up what we're talking about. Uh, I mentioned this in the, in the video I did a few weeks ago. And I, I just think it's a really great point to reiterate, which is veganery was just created by like two people. It's a concept in their kitchen that they came up with and they just pushed it uh, and they just believed in it and went for it. Uh, and now look at it. A global thing just from two people you know a couple in their kitchen going hey this is a cool idea maybe we should do it and now look it's just tremendous isn't it and all of a sudden now you've got farmers going oh there's lots of trepidation about veganery and we have to reclaim the month and you just think this whole industry is now talking about reclaiming an entire month because it's been quote-unquote hijacked by a concept or an idea that was created by two people in their kitchen. And I just think, if that doesn't signify the power that we all have as individuals to create change, I don't know if we can really, I don't know if there's a greater way of, of, of showing that, you know, in terms of what we can, what we can do. You know, you, you think of what we can do or what positive ideas, what can we bring to the table and believe in ourselves to do that. And then what can be achieved as a consequence can be global. Millions of people, you know, aware tens of millions of people aware millions of people participating and then a tangible benefit accessibility of options affordability of options and a, and a, and a reduction in volume of purchasing of, of animal products which in the long run will hopefully if things continue the way they are which trends and common sense indicates it will will, ta- will translate into a tangible disruption in the supply and demand chain and and if we need to emphasize farmers are worried and if that wasn't happening wasn't beginning to happen wasn't definitely going to happen then there'd be no need for worry but the worry signifies that all of these things are leading to something that's actually going to be tangibly beneficial and positive that's the plan anyway and then we just got to hope that chicken and fish consumption follows which i think it will um i'm confident of that um yeah i think um maybe this is a a good time to to wrap it up lots of different things to talk about um so yeah welcome back series two episode one the disclosure podcast um i hope you've enjoyed um, this first episode i hope you've enjoyed the conversation um i hope you've enjoyed 2020 so far and enjoyed veganery maybe if i've got some listeners who are doing veganery then i hope you've had a great i hope you enjoyed it um and please keep it up it's kind of what's that what's that is it, what's that expression you know they say a dog is for life not just for christmas i think well veganism is for life not just for january and i think that's um important so yeah keep it up and um i hope you've enjoyed doing it so far and uh, thank you for your participation for those of you who, who who's your first time uh, coming to the disclosure podcast then um check out series one um 
some very interesting conversations in there um you know hopefully um, a, a, a wide range of conversations as well different different people different ideas different um viewpoints and so go check out series one if if, if, if you've just been introduced to the, to the disclosure podcast because of series two um i hope you like series one as well and for those of you who, who've come from series one and are here well we're back baby and um, I look forward to uploading the rest of the podcast but uh, yeah just a, a little thing at the end just to say again like I said at the beginning if you have enjoyed this podcast um, and you'd like more content similar to this then you can find it on my Patreon um, and uh, you can find monthly Patreon only podcasts on there where a little discussion similar to this my musings um, but yeah I can't wait to upload some more of these have a great time until then um, and um, if you haven't already then check out uh, my YouTube or my Instagram um, where I've been uploading a variety of different content onto those platforms as well and to keep up to date with the things that I'm up to. But all right, guys, um, have a have a wonderful time until we speak again, until we are reunited on the Disclosure Podcast, but it's good to be back. Happy 2020, happy Veganuary, and happy the beginning of significant and tangible change. We'll speak soon.